0: Back in 2016, I was working out on a treadmill at the local gym when I turned on the TV to Fox News. In front of me was Gerardo Rivera on a couch surrounded by four female hosts, all in miniskirts the size of postage stamps. So, angry at the continued objectification of women and high on adrenaline, I picked up my phone and tweeted Serious question Do women on Fox News get extra money for dressing as hookers? The backlash that followed was intense and awful. I was mocked, ridiculed, threatened, bashed, slammed, all because I tweeted without taking two seconds to measure the impact of my words. My name is Jeff Peroman. I'm the New York Times best-selling author of nine books and the host of Two Writers, Sing and Yang, the podcast where one writer, me, talks writing with another writer every single week. Today's episode features Adrian Dater, the veteran NHL writer who, in 2014, merged mental health and substance abuse issues with awful social media judgment into, well, the loss of his job at the Denver Post. This is the story of a comeback from the depths, This is episode number 143. Let's sling some gang. All right, well, Adrian, first of all, thank you for being here. I'm a huge, huge fan, like a huge fan of redemption stories and people who screw up and come back or screw up and acknowledge they screwed up and sort of turn that into something. And you're, I mean, you know, to be blunt, you covered. You covered the Colorado Avalanche for nineteen years at the Denver Post. In two thousand fourteen you were you were let go by the newspaper after having sort of a bunch of unfortunate <laughs> Twitter sort of experiences, um you know, whatever yes. inappropriate messages to a woman and you call it a hockey player or a pussy and blah, blah, blah. And I wanna say, <laughs> yeah. before I even let you talk, you wrote you wrote an explanation uh on social media at the time.
1: And I mm-hmm. really loved
0: it. I really loved it. You wrote I just want to read it real quick. You said I said a bunch of stupid things on social media once too often. It was unprofessional and I paid the price. Social media and I are always going to be a dangerous mix. I'm opinionated and have the occasional real hot temper. But my problems were deeper than that. I've had some pretty bad substance abuse problems. Every single time I got myself in trouble with my mouth, substances helped play a role, probably a big one. I tried to deny it was a big problem, but it obviously wasn't is. A lifestyle of a lot of late nights away from home in lonely hotel rooms and a stressful lifestyle at times kind of caught up with me. I use too many wrong things as coping mechanisms. I also have dealt with manic depression for years, and when the real dark moods come over me, I tend to do things to hurt myself more. I don't want these to be used as excuses or to win sympathy, but I'm just adding explanations of what I've had problems with. I do believe some things said about me recently in accusatory manners is totally false, but the bottom line is I cause my own problems and I have to own them. And um, I thought it was great, and I thought it was stand-up-ish, and I also related with it Because this is a lonely job. This is a job in front of a screen a lot. It's a lot of hotel rooms. It's a lot of self-flagulation. Huge props for sort of just being like, I fucked up and I need to get right with myself. And I just kind of, I guess I guess to start, like, how did you
1: deal with all that? Well, (laughs) it wasn't easy. It was as bad as you think it could be. It was bad for me. Um, uh, But thank you for... Thank you for that. You know, when I wrote it, it was that night, and, uh, you know, right, your head is racing around a little bit. And, uh, that was not, that was December of 2014. Uh, how do I handle it? Well, the dream job you've always worked for is, and, and, and doing very well at, and every, you know, nothing but success, success, success all the way through is over in one night. And, it is a little bit of a complicated story and I don't want to bore you with all the details of how it happened. What, But the bottom line is everything I wrote in that, that explanation was true. I I was, you know, in a headed on a dark path a little bit the last few years before that happened. And, uh, it, it happened. I had some, not only some substance things, you know, I was drinking way too much. That was, that was the biggest thing i Took way too many sleeping pills too. I got hooked on sleeping pills and that was, that was another whole set of problems. So, uh, a workaholic type as well. I, I basically always had a kind of an anxiety disorder with a OCD element to it. And that, what I'm, and it's not the washing your hands type of thing. Um, OCD, it's, it's thoughts that I couldn't get out of my head. I couldn't shut off my brain compounded at that time with the, f- feeling that I had to work like a a gerbil on a hamster cage just to keep this newspaper business that I'm in and worried about constantly. There's some of the OCD. Uh, I felt like I had to be blogging all, all night long. And I was drinking on top of it, throwing down some sleeping pills. And uh that's not a good mix at all, to be at a typewriter, to, to be at a keyboard writing stuff. And, uh, you know, I had a slip of the tongue. And it happened. I I I dealt with it the first day. I just remember telling myself, though, in the, in the, as dark as it was, I still remember telling myself in bed, like just sitting there, thinking, "Oh my God, life is over." But I said, "Well, Adrian, you know, you're gonna you're gonna experience something new now. You know, um, yeah, maybe something that will come out of that. I didn't think anything thing- would good would come out of it. I was You know, just in hell. But I said, Hey, at least you're going to experience hell now. And I hope you get through it. And I remember telling myself, just try to make it a comeback story, man. Just try to make it a comeback story. I I knew it would take a long time for that to happen years. And I just, I knew that I had to just day by day try to win, win back my reputation as much of it as I could. And uh, there was some really rough, First m- month, you know, the first couple years, I don't think I went a single moment without thinking about that incident, like not one moment. It- it's on your mind all the time. And it was just regret, regret, regret. Some anger, too. Some feeling at the time, a little bit at, t- at first, a little denial, a uh, little, you know, ah, I got screwed over kind of thing. Nobody heard the real story. So that that sucks, too, when you're in that mindset, because you go from saying, God, I really fucked up to, you know, they fucked me over, you know, and it just right. it's a war of that whole emotion. It sucks. Eventually, through the help of a lot of people, my wife, most especially counselors, therapists, couple 12 step clubs, I was able to finally at least survive and get through you know, those first few months where it was pretty dicey with me, where I was having some really bad thoughts about things. Um, And, uh, you know, without all that help and me just trying to get through to another day, five years later, I feel like I'm in a much, much better place. Like I'm the, the happier guy that I felt like I used to be as a younger guy. Somehow that got away from me. I feel like I'm back to being more of that old guy again. It feels great. Is it more losing a dream
0: job or sort of a sense of going through a, you know, a certain level of public sort of flogging and humiliation to a certain degree?
1: You know, it's both, but it's it, the job itself had become a little bit of a, I would, I would never say sports writing was boring you know, and I hated it. Um It's what I really wanted to be as a kid, you know, the classic, Younger kid uh, who grew up, you know, reading the newspaper at age 10 and that whole thing. I think most sports writers will share a similar story, uh, especially our, my age. Um, so yeah, the jobs, the status of the job, the job no longer being there. Yeah, that sucked big time, but, um, <laughs> when you feel like, when you know you're not a real creep, you know, you're not a horrible guy but you fucked up and made a mistake. It's the humiliation part. It's, it's, it's feeling like you always have to hide in public at, at, at first. You, or if you do see someone, you're you over apologize all the time. You think they automatically know everything about you. So you sort of preempt them with a the, you know, a brief description of what happened. And it's just, oh, that sucks too. You know, it's yeah. mentally draining. It's, it's uh it's everything as bad as you can imagine it is, but you know there are some things that happened to me after that that really new experiences that maybe we can talk about that got me back to being more of a normal human being, and then um once that happened, once I was able to sort of get my problems with with the booze with with the pills. And with the more important, not so much even that as much as the the mind work that I had to do. So a lot of meditation stuff, a lot of a lot of uh, cognitive therapy with a really good counselor who helped me just see what's in front of me at that moment and not anything else really except that, and not catastrophize like I always did. Not think the world was going to end. Not worry about every little. Little physical thing wrong with me. I'm going to die from that, you know, looking up on the internet, thinking I'm going to die to one minute to, um, you know, my plane's going to go down. I mean, I was a nervous flyer covering a major beat, 1.5 million miles. I've probably flown covering avalanche games in 20 something, something years. And every single <laughs> flight was a white knuckle for me. Um, got, got a handle on that. So once that kind of lessened a little bit, able to sort of relax a little bit more, I was able to sort of get back into the game of of journalism again. And thankfully some people gave me another chance.
0: You remind me of a certain the, the way you were reminds me of certain writers I've known along the way, like uh Peter Vesey at the New York Post, or when Dr. Z was at Sports Illustrated, or a lot of the oh. New York baseball writers back in the day, where they freaking lived and died with it. And if you got in their way. Fuck, yeah. you. you know, and it was like, Shit. it was everything, absolutely 100% everything. It was their identity, it was their life, yeah. it was their oxygen, and it seems like a really unhealthy way. Like, I have a book coming out about the Shaq-Kobe Lakers, and I always think like, yep. yeah, Kobe ended up the better player, but I think I would have rather been Shaq, because he seemed to enjoy the ride a little bit, and it seems like if you right. become too competitive and too intense, you just, you're all in, it's almost like you lose something,
1: and it seems like maybe you lost something, some of the joy that this job should bring I, I worked really. I thought really hard at it. I I not I not only wanted to be you know a great writer, but I wanted to be the guy that broke all the news too. A lot of people want yeah. one or the other. I always wanted both. So I worked the phones as hard as I did stressing over the lead of every story. And believe me, if you saw me in my early days of writing game stories uh at the arena, it took me. You know, 15, 20 minutes to write my lead and I would just slave <laughs> over those core, you know, and then you look back and all so many of them are bad. So many of their bad pun filled leads. Uh, but you know, oh man, that I stress over that. Um, and if I got, you know, one note that I didn't have that the competing paper had, you know, that's all I could think about the rest of the day was God, I didn't have that note. You know, world is. <laughs> And uh, it, it's just, it took, I did take it thanks to a stream. I always had trouble relaxing. I was always worried about stuff, always. I mean, I worried about death for a long time. I always worried about dying young, right? Yeah. Um. And, it, you know, I thought, oh, this dream job that I just got at age, you know, 20-something in, in Denver, Colorado for a big newspaper, ah, I'm going to die in a plane crash anyway. It's going to be all over, you know? That's just kind of the way my mind works. I never lost the joy of the writing part, though. I've always, always felt fully confident about sitting down at a keyboard and writing. Like it just, it just always is a, my calm, happy place. You know, even, yeah, I could stress over a lead at times, but I wouldn't, I, I was always fully confident. So that was always my escape, you know, uh, writing I itself, you know, right. um, the rest, yeah, the airplanes, the bus, the rental car buses, a definite, sh- sh- a definite shortage of, of patience with my personality. Uh, that could manifest itself in all kinds of ugly ways. You know, uh, the parking lot attendant who wouldn't let me in, and I've got the credential that he won't let me in, and then, and then the f- arguments that happen over that. Just all kinds of stuff like that. Probably took a little bit of a toll on me. Just the draining of it. Uh, I did develop pretty bad insomnia problem. All of a sudden, I couldn't sleep for like three straight nights on a road trip. And I'm like, what? what's happening? So then the OCD part of me couldn't stop thinking about it. And I basically could never sleep again naturally from that day. Uh, I had to take Ambien almost every single night. The only way to shut my brain off was to take those damn pills. I, I still take it, not as much as I used to. Uh, but it's, it's still there. You know, it's just, it's just a thing with me still. It's a constant battle. You gave me sort of, you wrote me an email with a long
0: sort of biography, which was very helpful, and you said, um, you talked about sort of losing the job and the humiliation, and you said, I got off my ass, got up every morning, became a substitute teacher in a tough local Mm -hmm. school district where I live. I'd always thought being a teacher was something I could do, and I became an everyday sub, including a Mm long-term sub for one sixth grade class. So it was brutal, the days were long, the pay was low, and I was thinking with almost every waking thought, about what had happened to me at the post. So I was out of the house every day working with the kids. I started to at least get a little self-respect back. Um, and then you, you ran across a second
1: grader. What happened? It was one of my first assignments. Um, it was second grade class for the day. Um, and when you're a sub, you get, you know, a letter from the main teacher sort of telling you who, you know, something about the kids, probably the lesson plan for the day. Um, maybe a note or two about some kids who may be, you know, you got to watch it, keep an eye on, that kind of thing, who, who might give me trouble, that kind of stuff. Um, so there was this kid on my list, the second grader, and he was a handful. He was, he was uh, you know, the kid who talked a lot in class and that kind of thing. And so I was, you know, I was ready for him. Huh? I was just trying to keep him occupied. And So he had a thing, though, where when he went to the bathroom, he couldn't go alone. Um, I had to walk in there with, and he hated that. Like he couldn't stand that. So, uh, I said, look, I'm sk- sorry, you know, son, I got to take you to the bathroom. That's what it says. Um, on the way he, I can tell this kid was really bright. Like he's way ahead of his, I, I thought he was way, way, very, very intelligent sounding, put together sentences much more developed, it seemed like, than the other kids his age. But on the way to the bathroom, he goes, you know, he didn't like that I was walking, He's mad about it. And then he, he goes, and I, I'll use the words he said, I, he said, I just want to friggin' kill myself. Here I am, sort of a green substitute, hearing these words from a second grade kid, and I was stunned, but I was like, hey, 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 you know, I'm here to tell you that I see some smarts in you. And I'm here also to tell you that we all go through rough times as as kids and uh it's all gonna get better someday i promise you i I do think this kid had had some abuse at home i think his his mother ran out on him on the family you know obviously a lot of problems at home but i said look you're, you're i know you're smart i can tell i just know you don't know anything about me but i tell you what i'm gonna i see that you're smart i'm gonna give you something here and i think I want to just show it to you. It's got some stuff in it. It's a book I wrote on the Broncos, right? Denver Broncos book I wrote several years ago. I handed it to him. His eyes kind of lit up. You know, he's like, wow, you right, wrote a book? I'm like, yeah, okay. Let's keep, you know, don't tell the whole school here. Because <laughs> at that time, you know, I didn't really want my name getting out. Really, to a bunch of kids because of Google. I don't want people looking me up everywhere because my name is still, you know, I'm like... Public enemy number one in a lot of people's eyes, maybe. So, anyway, longer story short, his eyes kind of lit up. But the next day, um, I was at a bus stop at another school waiting for class to get out. And all the teachers hung out in the yard, you know, waiting for the kids to go or get them on the bus, that kind of thing. He sees me in the distance, and it's a cold winter day. He, he says, Mr. Dater, Mr. Dater. And he comes... And I, I'm not making this up. I can't lie about it. He runs toward me and throws off his jacket and jumps into my arms. And he's, you know, he says, like I'm his, you know, best friend all of a sudden. And he, and he, you know, said he loved the book. He already read it. And that moment for me, cause you know, I was going through some old, very dark thoughts myself at that time. So this kid, helped me sort of see something deeper. That's something that just that now I wouldn't trade that experience to the world. Right. That's when I started to think, you know, maybe the way you fucked up is the way you saved yourself too. I mean, when, when you're sitting there teaching, are you thinking my
0: journalism career is done? And how did you, how did you sort of yeah. make, start making a comeback to being a, a mainstream hockey writer again? Yeah. I,
1: yeah. I thought it was over I'm thinking about going for the full-time teaching certificate. And there's a lot of interest from the schools because one thing you learn when you teach in public school, especially the tougher ones, they really lack male teachers. So I was thinking about it, you know, I need to, I need to work. I need to keep, keep some income in. I've got a mortgage and, and a wife and a kid. All of a sudden out of the blue bleacher report called said, do you want to be our main NHL writer? We'll pay you a pretty, pretty comparable salary to what I was making at the post. And will you accept or not? I'm like, Uh, well, have you guys looked me up on Google lately? You know, that's not, this can't be true. This gotta be a gag almost. They said, no, uh, we want it. We, 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 this is a real offer. And, uh, I said, yes. I said, yeah, okay. Um, so I became the NHL sort of columnist slash feature writer for about two years at Bleacher Report. Enjoyed the work. Uh, It was definitely weird those first few months back in arenas again. felt really self-conscious. But, um, you know, everything went well, and, uh, yeah, then they stopped covering hockey. They actually called you and said, we're not covering hockey anymore? Basically, yeah. We're not staffing it with original content. They said they had no problem. They loved my writing. Everything was great. No no problems with this job. But, yeah, they they let me go, and they let a, a lot of other people go. I did work for a local site here in Denver. But I will say, Jeff, you know, the the nagging thing that I was still in the back of my mind was telling myself and the self-loathing that I've always had and the self, you know, the hard, there's always been, everybody always said this, like, you're so hard on yourself, Dater, just give yourself a chance to relax. And I'm like, no, I can't relax until I succeed at what I think I'm supposed to succeed in. I I'd always said, you're never going to be fully satisfied in Dater until you can at least try to do something on your own. Cut to the chase. Now I'm writing my own. I'm working on my own site, covering the avalanche, pure bootstrap. I use an analogy of a small farmer. You know, I'm just trying to put out my crops, have a good season and, uh, you know, my little plot of land. Hopefully enough people buy, buy, buy enough of my crops so I can put food on the table and, uh, and keep moving forward. How does one start
0: his own site? I mean, I have no idea. How do you,
1: <laughs> how do you start your own site? My site is called Colorado Hockey Now. Now that's, that wasn't my original title. That's, that's the name of a couple other sites in the hockey world. Pittsburgh Hockey Now is one, Boston Hockey Now is the other. So they started hockey only sites and basically I'm the franchisee of Colorado. But I, I do run everything. I run the mechanics of the site. I write every word you see on it is my either doing or okaying. And I've learned quite a bit about the inner mechanics of it now, so that nobody really has to do much for me. I'll tell you, if you want to do your own site, first thing you gotta do, you you gotta make sure the the payment system works. There's no glitches there. You gotta triple, double, quadruple check that. Because if you have any FFs on payments right away, you can, you're done before you even start. You've gotta have a good template. You've gotta have a good, you know, WordPress has a million sites so you can do for almost no money down. Um, and you know, people don't always realize that they get suckered into paying these ten or fifteen thousand dollars fees to to web builders out there to start a site. Well, if you have any kind of ability at all, you can you can kind of put your own together. But yeah, it helps to have somebody who knows a little something about tech beforehand. So if Jeff Perlman is doing his own pay site subscription site, just you know, make sure you get the, the payment plans down, the payment system down. Uh Make sure PayPal is taken, Venmo. And, uh, you know, it's not that complicated once you get the, uh, just the tech part in, uh, you don't need to blow a lot of money on it. Um, but once it's in, you know, it's, it's just put out the best content you can. I mean, I do have 25 years of, of, of sports writing experience for in, uh, in, up my sleeve that I, you know, and, uh, and also obviously you need a credential from the team. I wouldn't be able to do the site without a credential from the avalanche. Um, And it wasn't a walk in the park getting that either. Like, I had to, you know, promise and make sure that, you know, I'm going to travel covering the team. Uh, I'm going to spend real money doing that. You know, I'm not just going to sit on the couch blogging, writing recaps off the TV, but I'm going to be on the road. And I've (laughs) I've been on the road plenty this year. And all that's gone pretty well. I've gotten to know the lower end of the spectrum of the – Uh, American, North American hotel chains in this country. Where do you Uh, stay? Interesting. (laughs) Um, I stayed at a place called the Waterfront Inn, uh, in right outside of Philly my last trip. $53 a night, I think it was. But man, I tell you what, I stayed in all the fancy hotel rooms for all those years. Stayed at the, you know, you, I can name, you know, the mall. I stayed at a mall. Way overrated. Give me a bed, running water, maybe a TV that works. I don't care so much about TV, but it's great to have that, a firm bed and I'm good. You know, all these little old motel chains are still out there. I did stay at a Motel 6 in Kingston, Ontario last week. Perfectly fine. 50 something dollars a night. I've stayed in a lot of Airbnbs. Uh, this year I've gotten to know that. I did have a couple bad ones, including a, uh, a host who stole some medication from me. And I think I might have stayed in a meth house in Florida once, too. So, that said, there's some really nice Airbnbs. But, uh, you know, running your own site is, you know, it's tough, too. I mean, there's peaks and valleys. You've got to sell, sell, sell. It feels like all the time. Before we continue with Two Riders Singing Yang, a quick word from our sponsor.
0: Hey, this is Jeff Perlman, and I'm here with my son Emmett, who just celebrated his bar mitzvah a few days ago. So, Emmett... How does it feel to have accomplished such a big thing?
1: To be honest, it's a bit of a letdown. How so? I don't know. You put all this time and work into something, then it happens, and 100 of your closest friends and relatives come, and then they all leave. And that's it.
0: Would it make you feel better to know I'm proud of you? No. How about if I tell you that tomorrow there'll be a special turkey sandwich in your lunchbox?
1: Your sandwiches always taste like Grandpa Hand.
0: What if I tell you the new line of 503 Sports ABA jerseys are available at 503-sports.com, and your Memphis Sounds Mel Daniels jersey will be here any day now.
1: I feel like a man. Who do you consider oh, your main up.
0: competition?
1: Well, the Athletic is here uh, in Denver. We're trying to be the Athletic, but just hockey. Uh, and, you know, we'll see how that works, but... So the athletics here, they don't, uh you know, they don't do daily coverage. Though I like to still have daily coverage. I left to write my sheriff big, big features, and and we will do that. Uh, deep dive features, reporting, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I still like to have the days, you know, news in there too. You're in a medium that
0: relies on social media, and and in yeah. a way, you're. I mean, not in just a way. Your career downfall early on was social media, mm-hmm. and I wonder if that. Mm-hmm. whatever with your recovery and with sort of analysis and, and uh, you know, going to therapy, if you had to sort of adjust or rethink your approach to social
1: media. Oh, well, of course. I mean, you know, first rule for me was no more drinking and blogging. Uh, that doesn't work. Um, no more, no more getting high as a kite on, on Ambien and still writing thinking that, oh, that might be cool. You know, maybe I'll be like Hunter Thompson tonight and write some really interesting stuff. Well, no, it, it didn't. Uh, I, I didn't. I I made, uh, you know, stupid tweets at times. And, uh, you know, just nobody but myself to blame. Um, so, yeah, I've obviously dialed back on social media. I used to be more of a hothead. I'd come back at people. I thought it was maybe entertaining to do that at first, you know, be the guy who you know, hey, I'm the media guy. We'll come back at you sometimes. You know, right. hey, let's have some fun with it. No, don't do that anymore. It's uh, it's always, it's the good intentions you may have always lead down uh down to a a, a, bro- a road of just sewage, and uh, so no more of that. Um, I try to be happy and positive in a lot of ways. I always find. <laughs> I do have you know my bad days still like I was almost tempted to tweet something about a bad airline experience the other day and you think Ugh, don't do that don't do it don't do it um people don't care about your travel problems right so just little things like that um I have just learned to relax and and when I see you know trigger warning signs for me that I'm you know about to maybe say something i shouldn't um i do have a little bit of a you know a plan to deal with that you know and it's not very scientific it's just wait what is it's it the what old. is your plan so i was taught to sort of picture myself in a room um just with lovely lovable objects around that i've always loved doesn't even have to be new current things it could be my old cat right. uh oliver from my it could be my old dog Hennabel, growing up on a Vermont commune Anything to sort of put myself in a place all of a sudden where I I sort of realize everywhere I've been before has had some good things and everywhere I, I should go should other have, you know, as good to happy things. And to stay in that place for a few seconds or minutes and sort of shut out everything around me, it's a form of meditation. But it works for me when I kind of visualize things around me that I feel good about somehow. And just, it gets into my brain, that picture of the, of my old beloved dog or something. Or it can be, um, you know, great story I wrote, or it can be the experience I had with the kid, you know, at the school or something like that. Just to, just to say to myself, dude, you've, you've had a good life. You've got a lot of stuff going for you. Um, Nothing is gonna happen. Good that Bart bitching at about an airline seat or anything like that, or or going back at a fan who you know said my writing was bad or something, and and, and starting to go you know toe to toe. Whatever. It's just it's just a way to stop what you're doing. And I know that doesn't sound all that re- re- revelatory. I recently have started
0: changing my Twitter password hiding it somewhere and coming home and just allowing like an hour a day just because like, number one, it sets a time suck. Number two, it sets an angry place. You talked about sort of health anxiety and I suffer from health anxiety too. And it's like, you can ask 10,000 people to reassure you that you don't have cancer, but it doesn't make you feel yeah. any better. It's the same thing. It doesn't actually yeah. make you feel any better because you're looking for the one person to no. tell you, you do have it. That's the funny thing about it.
1: I know. I know. I know. I remember in a hotel room in Philadelphia covering the Stanley cup finals. This has been 98, uh, Flyers, uh, Red Wings. No, Washington. It was Washington Red Wings. So 98, I was in Washington and somehow I thought that I had, um, uh, uh, I must have had stomach cancer or something based on something I read. And it, the rest of the trip, I couldn't focus on anything. This this wonderful Stanley Cup series in front of me. I spent the entire night reading 1998 era Internet web yep. boards about this kind of stomach cancer. Uh, and I remember calling home um, my wife, the ex-wife. Now, uh, I've been happily remarried for 20 years now, but. This was, this was the mid nineties starter marriage, I guess. Yeah. And I just spent all night long just saying, I've got cancer. I'm going to die. And I, I know it. I know I see it. it's done. It's, it's over. I'm coming home. Man. And you know, just how pathetic, right? And of course I've it wasn't there. cancer. Yeah. And it's like, I just could never, even when I got the job in my dreams, I would still let shit like that take over my mind too often. And it would just. Yeah. It was just, it's just awful. I think one thing that goes unstated, truly I do. And
0: is like, sometimes people tend to seem to view this podcast as almost like a therapy session for writers. And I got to say, yeah. like, I mean, seriously, like we're no. isolated. We're in front of a screen all the time where I mean, really? I've had, I've had colleagues who got fired. I've, I've had colleagues who got fired for jerking off at work. I've had fire <laughs> colleagues who suffer from crippling anxiety. I've had uh colleagues who had Mm -hmm. trouble with social media as far as combativeness uh inappropriate across the board across the spectrum and a big part of it is in many ways it's such a mentally unhealthy way to exist you are i I we tend to be social people who love sports but we we're actually in this isolated profession where we're in our own heads all the
1: time and it's fucking torturous. it's torture i know it is, it's, it is, it's, it's, it's always been a joy to write and also just a pure hell because you're never as good as you, you never write as, I never write anything as good as I want it to be. Um, yep. so I have that, um, I frankly suffered from absolute envy of people at times in the business and that was a horrible thing to be, yep. I mean, I, I can't tell you, I went through this is embarrassing. I meant, but I like. I can't tell you what a big Bill Simmons phase I went through, uh, for a couple of years. Like, Bill Simmons was in my dreams and shit. Like, he was. Here is this guy who's basically from the same area I was, seemed to live almost the same kind of upbringing I was in a lot of ways. Um, and he becomes the rich, successful mega mogul, and I'm sitting there, with this shit at the shit, at the Denver Post. Not being appreciated for, and you know, so envy is a terrible thing. I've made my oh, yeah. peace with that too. I I, I think Bill Simmons is, is awesome, and uh, I have no I have no more jealousies of people. I don't think uh, any t- really true jealousies. At some <laughs>
0: point, I think most of us come to the realization that someone else's success does not detract or have anything to do with our own, and to resent, you know, I was the same way when I was coming up at Sports Illustrated, and there would be other people, and you'd be like, eh, I'm better than him, or oh, why is that guy? I mean, we all go through it. And then later on you realize yep. like someone else doing well has nothing to do with me has nothing to do with me and to be resentful of someone else's success and also the other thing you learn I've had this talk with my wife a million times you know I've had books come out that sell great I've had books come out that come shit and sometimes I'll think ah oh, if only this book sold a gazillion copies blah blah and then you realize like would you actually be any happier probably not you'd be happy for a week you'd be happy for the, or the week or would you when though Jeff, or
1: or would you or would you I mean, I still sit and think, God damn it, why didn't I write a million? St-? I tried to write a couple screenplays, okay? I thought, I'm going to get rich writing a screenplay. I mean, I've, I can be better than these hacks, right? So I wrote them, and they got looked a little bit around Hollywood, believe it or not. Uh, there was some mild interest, but it didn't happen. And yet I think, God, you know what? I think I would have been happier in a nice, big, fat Beverly Hills house with I mean, my check from a, a screenplay, you know? I really do. But maybe I wouldn't. Maybe I wouldn't. Maybe this is my lot in life, and I'm supposed to be happy with what I'm doing, and I'm I'm still trying to work on that. You know, I still have goals um, all the time. But yet, yeah, you know, then you run into that whole anxiety, well wow, I'm fifty-five too, I'm not fucking spring chicken here. Uh, get off shit or get off the pod, Tater. You know? And I don't think You know what? I never thought I'd be a sports writer in the first place. I mean, I was a miserable, lonely teenage kid, 6'5", 130 pounds. Awkward. Um, Could shoot a mean jumper, though, I'll tell you. I was a good hooper. You know, I lived at home in my parents' basement coming out of college. I mean, I was just a complete loser. But I moved to Denver, and I became a... Writered a big paper and I flew on airplanes with Patrick Waugh and Joe Sakic, and I've been at Stanley Cup Finals and I've interviewed Wayne Gretzky. I mean, I've had a hell of a run. Yep. Uh, I've written seven, six books and that really made really damn happy. Like, I never would have, thought, would have thought that. So, yeah. Being thankful for what you have was a problem for me. Still working on it, but it's a lot better than it used to be. Especially when you've you know, taking a nuclear bomb your whole life for a while. And then yeah, you it's funny. you realize you can get, you know, you can come back. You get up, you dust yourself off. The whole cliche there is a really rewarding thing to say you can come back from it. You didn't beat you. You know, that's big for me.
0: Well, it seems um, almost like you had a, um, you had like a, the, the journalism equivalent of a near-death experience. And a lot of people oh, yeah. who have near-death experiences have these these ways of looking at their life and reevaluating their lives that I actually envy when you hear about it because they have a real appreciation of it. It seems like you may have gotten that well, too.
1: Well, I, I, I hope so. I mean, I, I know, I, listen, you're, you're still talking to a guy who's got, you know, a, a laundry list of, of, of catacombs of problems up in the brain somewhere, probably. But I, I can honestly say that I've never felt more like just a little bit Satisfied finally in these last years. Start doing your own site, hearing from people that it's good, seeing the numbers that people are actually paying for it, um, and giving you compliments and saying that they love it. And you know, I have a little tip jar on my site called Dav's Travel Tip Jar. Um, any money that goes in there, you know, it's one hundred percent goes to travel costs, those Airbnbs, yeah. you know, the the. The all-you-can-eat buffet at the Chinese place with a doggy bag home. Um, yes, I've done that, uh, and uh, you know, and and putting out your own shingle, man. Finally, you know, I don't have a boss except me, and uh, and that feels damn good, you know. And it's it's working, you know. It's I'm not going to get rich off it probably, but I'm making money. I'm making paying my bills, and um, it's just nice to be out on that other side finally, man. I don't want to go back. I really don't want to go back.
0: Let me ask you a final question. I'm lucky at a story you wrote February 11th. Uh, the Avalanche played nearly a perfect defensive game against Ottawa. Um, yeah. Lead. Now that was a complete 60-minute effort. Wow, the Avs were very good tonight, blah, 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 blah. And I wonder, um, you've probably watched 8,753 <laughs> hockey games in your life. Um, yep. How do you still give a shit? <laughs>
1: It's, it's about the writing still. I always feel like once I'm sitting at the keyboard that it's a, it's a brand new story. It's never been told before. And I think so. It, what you are doing right now is retelling of an incident that has never happened in world history. Yeah. The score might be the same as something in world history. Um, a lot of the aspects of the game might be the same, but really this is a unique thing in world history that I try to tell myself. And I'm going to write a story about it. So that's pretty fun, right? Um, yeah, yeah, that's nice when you're in Buffalo and it's a four to two game. You've got nothing really to inspire you whatsoever about the game. Yeah, yeah, you can definitely, um, you know, you grind your way through those and then, but the sanctuary for me was always just writing the story. Uh, The locker room interviews have gotten to be a lot, you know, more of a drag, especially when you get older. There's, it's all stage managed by the teams. PR people are always, you know, it's their brand, you know, so they don't want any, you know, that whole thing that you've been, you've been probably stolen around enough pro teams now (laughs) where you, you get, you get that. Um, it's not like the old days where you could ride the buses with the, I rode the plane with the team in the early days, ride all kinds of on the flywheel. F- fly on the wall pieces about the avalanche being in their plane and whatever. Not, nothing, nothing I would write you know, untoward. Or, but you know what I'm saying? Stuff that people really like to read. On the road stories. Right? Those are great. Can't do them anymore. So, you know, and going through the shit like I did, really, uh, it did reaffirm some of the love that I had been lost. As my old mentor, Andrew Galarno, who's a buff- food critic at the Buffalo News now, but one thing he said to me after my very first story for the Concord Monitor way back in 1990, uh, I was so proud of it. I said, baseball, we came down to a game of inches last night for the Babe Ruth eighth grade team in Concord, New Hampshire. And I said, Andrew, what did you think of that? He was a young writer at the time. Just, he just shook his head at me. He goes, cliche, right in the lead, man. And I'm like, I don't even know what a cliche was really at the time of 21 years old. And from that day on, I was like, oh, my God, you're right. I, f- Oh, God, I can't even be seen today. Um, that cured me of the cliche habit right away. So roundabout way of answering your question again, too. It's not a cliche. It's a brand new event. And you got to find a way to try to make it interesting, man. Not not a cliche. And it can be done.
0: I love your story. I love Whoa. your freaking comeback. I think it's inspired. And, um, you know, people go through shit in this world. and. It's, it's nice to hear, you know, some people able to kind of step up and overcome and move forward.
1: Thank you. It's also nice to be given that chance.
0: I want to thank today's guest, Adrian Dater, for joining me on Two Writers Singing Yang. You can follow Adrian on Twitter at adater and read his fantastic work at coloradohockeynow.com. One can listen to Two Riders Singing Yang on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, and your views are always appreciated. Music is by the terrific MC Whiteout, Thanks again for joining me, and remember, keep writing.